Project Director of Montana's Peer Network, and today I'm joined by the wonderful Stephen Samra. He is the Senior Associate at the Center for Social Innovation, and he's here to talk to us about MAR. So, Stephen, can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do um, and also how you got involved in this kind of work? Absolutely, Alex, and thanks for having me on here today. In addition to being a senior associate with the Center for Social Innovation, uh, most folks would probably recognize me as the, one of the deputy directors for the, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, uh, SAMHSA. Um, their, their very large recovery contract, it's called Bringing Recovery Supports to Scale Technical Assistance Center Strategy, and we call it Brass Tax for short, as you can obviously see. I do a lot of work with states, tribes, territories, um, provider organizations um, to, to really help them understand uh, what the recovery movement is, um, how recovery is different from treatment. Um, and I work in conjunction with, you know, a number of federal partners and, and, uh, and then brass tax partners to push that information out into, you know, kind of the national arena um, and the, the, with the goal of making peer support, peer-run organizations, and recovery first and foremost in the minds of, of folks around the country. That's awesome, and we're really glad to have you on um, and with us to talk about this. So how did you get involved with the recovery movement, and you know, why is this important to you? So I am a person with lived experience of what I call the big five of behavioral health conditions. Um, I have, I think most folks would say that I would identify primarily with an addiction or a substance use background um, for a very long time, uh, decades. Uh, I was, um, uh, you know, uh, using opioids. Um, I uh, graduated from, uh, you know, prescribed opioids to street heroin um, in, I'd say, in the early 90s and spent just about 10 years, um, you know, on, uh, on a run with, with black tar heroin um, and also had some criminal justice involvement. I spent a little bit of time in state prison in California on a drug crime. Uh, I've experienced homelessness uh, for extended periods. Um, I've been diagnosed with a mental health challenge for a very long time, and I'm a trauma survivor, with, uh, you know, as a, as, particularly as a child, but that trauma has been exacerbated by poverty, substance misuse, um, um, and so I entered a, a medication-assisted treatment program in 2000, and uh, that program, um, uh, what it did for me almost instantly was it stabilized my, my mood, um, eliminated the cravings, and it also gave me uh, an ample amount of additional time in my life um, where I could start to think about other ways that I could um, grow and, and you know, become uh, what, what I had always hoped to be, which is a productive member liked and respected in my local community. You mentioned this word, you know, medication-assisted treatment. Um, I've heard it called MAT, MAT, before. Can you just explain what that is and what that process looked like for you? Sure. So medication-assisted treatment, um, essentially, you know, they, they do a drug test. Um, you test positive for, for opioids. Um, they start you on a, on a dose of medication. Um, you take that, that dose daily. Um, there's, a, there's a little bit of counseling that goes with that. 
Uh, now remember that I'm, I'm sharing with you, you know, 2000s version of medication assisted treatment. And there's been some significant changes over the, you know, the last 17 years now uh, related to the medication assisted treatment program. And we'll talk about that, uh, you know, as we move through this podcast a little bit further. But for the purposes of this description, medication assisted treatment is accessing at that time in a, you know, a methadone clinic, um, you know, the evidence-based medication, uh, you know, methadone to, to address and control my opioid use disorder. Yeah, and as you were saying, you know, there has been a lot of changes as of recent within medication-assisted treatment, and one of those big changes is that there's been a pretty big federal push for medication-assisted treatment. So with that big push, you know, we're hitting more stigma because people are more aware of it um, and that others are using it. What would you say to people who are uncertain about, you know, as you said, this is evidence-based, but really feel that this this isn't true recovery because it's not abstinence-based? So there's a, you know, there's a lot of, of conversation and misinformation around this, right? And, and a lot of the stigma is, you know, related to um, the, the desire for those of us who are looking at recovery from substance misuse um, to be abstinent, right? You know, the only way that you can really be in recovery in that perspective is to abstain from the use of, you know, illegal drugs or alcohol. But the challenge for people with opioid use disorders is that you've had a physiologic brain change from you know, the use of those medications. And the, the, the challenge is that if you do not supply the medication, um, it's very difficult for an individual, and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking broadly here, there's certainly people who have recovered, that kicked uh, you know, their opioid cold turkey and never gone back. And, and, you know, I congratulate them for being able to do that. I wasn't able to do that. And many of my brothers and sisters aren't. Uh, struggling mightily after I had self-detoxed from, uh, you know, opioid misuse, I realized that, and, and you know, let me, let me say that I had actively participated in 12-step in programs. I've been, you know, a Narcotics Anonymous uh, member for a very long time, since I think 1996. Um, and I struggled mightily um, with the, the challenge of opioid addiction um, when I was seeing my brothers and sisters um, able to abstain from, you know, particularly from, you know, a number of other drugs. And I couldn't understand why this was such a challenge for me. And part of my, my challenge, and I'll, you know, I'll share this with, with folks who, who are, you know, really kind of locked into the abstinence only model. Um, and, and before I go further, let me make sure and it, that, that I'm very clear that that is a viable pathway. And this is absolutely not a you know, a, a condemnation of 12-step programs at all. But I will say that when I approached in my Narcotics Anonymous meetings, the, you know, the idea of using medication-assisted treatment, um, it, it, you know, it was like being unloaded with both barrels from folks. And, and I understood their perspective. But, but here's what happened to me as a result of that. Because folks at that point um, were were you know adamantly opposed to the use of a, a you know a medication like methadone um, in terms of recovery and participation in, in an NA group. Um, I felt horribly stigmatized 
by my own brothers and sisters in my community that I had been, you know, actively involved in for 30 years. And what it did to me was it actually delayed my treatment and entry into that program for about three years because I was a victim of that stigma. I didn't want to feel, you know, I didn't want my peers to look down on me because I, I could not maintain sobriety. Um, but at the same time, I was half insane. Um, and I knew that at some point I was going to relapse because that was unsustainable for me. Yeah, and you made a really great point in there as well about saying, you know, it isn't saying that abstinence isn't viable, but, you know, as one of the guiding principles to recovery, there's many pathways. So what works for one person might not work for another. Um, and I think that's a really good point because, you know, you don't want to tell someone that their way is wrong um, or that they're going about recovery in the wrong way because that is such a personal journey. Um, I think something that peer supporters are going to deal with um, in Montana is we're kind of implementing MAT and people are um, working towards this, you know, harm reduction based um, recovery is peer supporters in our state are mainly abstinence based. So what do you think are some of the challenges they're going to face in supporting people who aren't taking an abstinence based recovery model? So, you know, it flies against a lot of the principles that people have incorporated and, and you know, essentially, uh, you know, internalized for their own recovery. And it, it becomes, you know, particularly challenging, I think, for a person to, you know, look at in a coaching role, um, you look at and engage somebody who is going to use a medication um, that for a very long time has been sort of misconstrued as replacing one drug with another. And, you know, that is absolutely not the case. Um, but but the, the idea that you're using an opioid to address your opioid addiction is a, a very challenging thing for people to wrap their minds around. Um, I, I will say that you know, in the probably the past five years now, at least, um, more and more that, you know, recovery coach and the, you know, the addiction community uh, sort of domains have, have, have really begun to realize that uh, there, there is a, a physiologic brain change that has occurred in people who have used opiates for, a, you know, for a considerable length of time, um, that medication in, you know, prescribed in a, uh, you know, whether it's a clinic or through a physician who's prescribing buprenorphine, um, these are genuine and viable pathways to recovery because what people see when we start our brothers and sisters on this medication is a change to towards a productive and satisfying life in their community. And remember that, you know, what we're thinking about when we're thinking about recovery, it's really in four domains, right? Health, home, community, and purpose. And, and the, the goal is, particularly when you consider this from a harm reduction perspective, the goal really is to stabilize a person, remove them from the lifestyle and the dangers of, you know, street drug use and, and all the things that, you know, accompany that. Um, stabilize them on a therapeutic dose of, of an opioid that doesn't induce um, intoxication and that allows them to function. And at that point, um, you know, the, the person is then 
able to work together. And this is the critical component, honestly, for the recovery coaches out there, particularly those folks who are, you know, really steeped in the abstinence-based model. It is your opportunity to have conversations around, uh, you know, recovery, um, around the, the uh, fulfillment of, of life goals and dreams, of the, uh, you know, the, the, the potential to actually enjoy your life in the community and find a little respect and, and self, uh, you know, uh, you know, self-dignity, um, have a little bit of hope again in your life that uh, perhaps as I use this medication and I, uh, you know, I'm reducing the, the harm I'm exposed to every day out on the street, um, there are opportunities now where I can improve my life. And I, I'm one of them. Right. You know, when I started medication assisted treatment, uh, I suddenly found I had a lot of time on my hand uh, and and um, I could think clearly because I wasn't clock watching. I didn't have to chase the bag and I wasn't dope sick anymore. And as a result of that, I entered college and I got a bachelor's degree and then I went on and I got a master's degree. And all those pieces helped me overcome stigma, shame, my criminal justice involvement. Um, all those pieces that had, had had such negative impacts in my life. And so today when I talk about this, I tell people all the time, look, you know, medication-assisted treatment and it, my exposure to recovery. And by the way, that did not come at the same time. Um, I got my exposure to, uh, to recovery probably six or seven years after I'd been in the program. Um, and, you know, I'd certainly been counseled. But it wasn't like a peer support recovery movement that, that I'm familiar with. And, and at that point, I realized that the medication I was taking was my treatment. But my recovery, my recovery came from my peers. It came from people who, uh, you know, understood what I was doing, uh, accepted the fact that this was my pathway to recovery and, and did so without judgment. And then work together with me, even when look, my methadone counselor was an abstinence only uh, 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 person with lived experience. And she supported me, uh, you know, unbelievably well through probably the first five or six years of, of my time in the clinic. I spent 15 years in a methadone program. So all that to say, you know, the, 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 the intersection between, uh, you know, the, the use of a, a medication like methadone. Um, and exposure to the recovery movement, recovery principles, really helped shape me into who I am today. And, and uh, you know, it, it was invaluable. And, you know, that I think that's a really interesting point that you made that, you know, you didn't have the experience with the recovery side, the MAR, you know, medicated, medication-assisted recovery, until you'd been using MAT, M-A-T, for years. What do you think um, it would look like to have those combined together? And how do you think having those both combined early on would have helped with your recovery? Holy moly, guys. So that's a really important uh, question, Alex. Thanks for asking it. Because, you know, there's a great model. Uh, Walter Ginter runs the MAR program, and you can Google this. And, you know, it's in the Bronx, New York, and, and it's basically a peer-run, uh, you know, uh, uh, medication-assisted recovery uh, uh, organization. Um, and why that's so darned important is because the, the, you know, the use of methadone or suboxone or, you know, or even, you know, naloxone, um, you know, alone, 
that is the treatment, right? Um, and we wouldn't deny a diabetic their insulin, you know, a person with diabetes, I'm sorry for not, not using person-first language there, but we certainly wouldn't do that, right? We would, we would make sure that, you know, a person with diabetes was absolutely able to receive their, their medication. But there's also, along with that, you know, if you, you get your insulin, you also need to understand what, what you know, the, the, the eating habits that you have, how to take care of yourself with, you know, the, the, the ramifications of diabetes. There's a whole host of things around that. So it's the same way with medication-assisted treatment. Uh, you know, the treatment is, is the medication, obviously, but the, you know, the recovery piece, and this is where the clinic um, often, I think, and I'm talking specifically about methadone clinics, not so much about physician-prescribed buprenorphine, but, uh, you know, a lot of the methadone clinics um, out there don't, they just don't blend well yet. Um, the recovery piece on the behavioral health side with your counselors uh, into the actual treatment model that you come to when you when you go to the dosing window and you're now in primary care, right? Your, your dose is delivered by a nurse and this is strict, uh, you know, uh, medical model uh, primary care. And when Walter Ginter combined that, that approach and, and used people with lived experience of, uh, you know, methadone maintenance or suboxone maintenance, um, and incorporated the recovery principles to that, the efficacy of his treatment model jumped. And th there's a good reason for that. We need each other. We I need people who have the lived experience of, of opioid use disorder, of, of you know, substance misuse. I need the, the, you know, the knowledge um, and the, I need the dignity and hope I need the inspiration from, from my brothers and sisters who have gone through it and are standing in front of me modeling that as recovery. And when you do that in that and you move from medication-assisted treatment to medication-assisted recovery, um, to me, that blend of treatment and recovery is absolutely essential. Without it, what, what I think happens to people is you know, they, they get frustrated by the stigma around medication-assisted treatment, particularly when they're in the program and they're not exposed to recovery. Um, they cave to the pressure that, it, you know, often family members bring to the table. Uh, you know, inadvertently, sometimes, you know, our, our peer support does this as well. Um, and what it does is, to me, it slows their, their you know, progress through recovery and often puts them back at, you know, kind of ground zero to start all over again. And once you do that, uh, it's, you know, it's really frustrating, demoralizing, and there's a sense of hopelessness that you're never going to recover. So this idea of medication-assisted recovery, combining the treatment model with solid uh, peer support, culturally relevant, culturally competent, delivered by people who have experience in a medication-assisted treatment program and who know, you know, what the, the pros and cons are, that is unbelievably helpful. Great. And I, I took a few questions from, um, you know, different people in the community that they have for you um, about your experience with Matt and Mar. Um, and one of the questions I got was, you know, as peer supporters, we should be willing to accept that these people may be on medication assisted treatment for the rest of their lives. But you came off of it. Is that uh, experience that peer supporters should be looking for with their 
with their clients or is this, you know, unusual and also not something that should be expected? So let me, let me say this. I think that all of us, um, I don't care whether or not, you, you know, you're, you're in a medication assisted treatment program or you're, you know, you're, you're working through uh, your, your, you know, your situation through a 12 step program. Ultimately the goal uh, should be a life of sobriety um, and, 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 you know, living productively and happily in your community in, in a recovery that you've created. And some of us are going to come off pretty quickly. Uh, some of us may not ever come off. Some of us may have a catalyst. And, and my, for me, my catalyst was this. I had been in the program 12 years. Um, I had, uh, you know, done the, my recovery work uh, pretty, uh, you know, pretty fully. I was living a satisfying and productive life in my community. I had a very good job. Um, I, you know, I re reunified with my family. Everything that, that a person would want um, in their recovery that you could dream at those most darkest and worst hours of your, you know, addiction, um, I had achieved. And what I realized at that point was it had been 40 years since I knew who Stephen Samuel was sober. And I wanted to know what that was because I had not experienced sobriety other than those, you know, those short periods of time where I, I just white knuckled it through, you know, my 12 step meetings and, you know, short periods of time. And when I say short, I'm talking six, eight months. Right. Those were horrible experiences for me because they weren't really recovery um, and, and I wasn't really well. So I decided to come off. Um, it was a, it was a conscious decision. Um, I worked really closely. I had a, a solid support network. Um, and also, this is also at the point in time where I actually had my first recovery coach engagement around medication assisted recovery. And it was because I knew a recovery coach who had spent seven years in the program, who had detoxed out under medical supervision, and who was able to provide me with insight and guidance that was invaluable um, in, in being able to sustain the, the, the recovery without methadone. So I made the personal decision because I wanted to experience my own sobriety. And I also felt like um, that the medication had had served its purpose um, and I was I was done. I, you know, I was ready to come off. Um, not everybody's going to get there. Uh, but, you know, that was my personal experience. Now, let me just say that, you know, as a person with an addiction, um, I'm very used to instant gratification. And, you know, even today, uh, you know, years later, I still struggle with, with the need for instant gratification. And detoxing out of the methadone program uh, is a long-term job. Uh, it took me two and a half years. Um, to, you know, to reach zero uh, in my, uh, you know, my methadone dose. And then the first year out of the clinic was really challenging. I had a, a serious post-acute withdrawal syndrome uh, symptoms. Um, they lasted, it, it, you know, more, they still occur today, uh, much, much diminished, but I still, you know, occasionally battle with them. 
but the first year was really bad. Um, and the second year was, you know, got a lot better, but still had some impact. Now, having said that, that's the negative. The positive, um, you know, my, uh, my health, uh, uh, you know, improved. Um, I lost a lot of weight. There's, there is some weight gain that comes with, you know, using uh, medication-assisted treatment for many people. Um, uh, my short-term memory improved. My ability to function in, in the role uh, at my work uh, dramatically improved. And I'm not. It was it was bad when I was under the you know under the the, the treatment protocol, but uh, you know in sobriety, um, uh, you know I was I was freed from uh, you know the, the the impact of the medication. And when I say that, what I want folks to understand is that I've also taken psychiatric medications. Uh, I've been on, on triliptal uh, as a, a bipolar disorder medication in my life. And when I detox that, um, I <laughs> experienced exactly the same thing. A, a you know, a, a wonderful, uh, you know, renewal of my, my, my mental capacity and my memory improved and you know, all these things happened to me. So I'm not targeting, you know, the, 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 the drug methadone as something that, you know, debilitated me. All medications have an impact, and I want it off. Um, and and ultimately, I came off. I've been three years, uh, uh, you know, sober from um, all drugs, uh, including uh, you know, my medication, my methadone medication. Um, and and uh, you know, I'm I'm living a really happy and productive life. Now, here's the here's the final thing I'll say about that. I can tell you right now, if I had one craving around an opioid, one. I would run back to the clinic. I would not walk. I would run as fast as I could because I would prefer to have my medication delivered to me by a physician. I want to be wrapped in both counseling and recovery peer support. Um, and I certainly don't ever want to return to the lifestyle I had when I was addicted to heroin. I don't ever want to go back there. And I think that was such a great example, too, that you gave of psychiatric medication as well, because, you know, it's it's similar. There's quite a bit of stigma surrounding being on medication, you know, psychiatric medication. And some people may be on that for the rest of their lives and other people may decide that, you know, I'm coping well and I'm doing well and I'm ready to work with a doctor to come off of this. And the same sort of thing, you know, if I start feeling these symptoms again, it's important that, you know, I'm either going back on this medication or working on finding new coping strategies. Um, so I think that's a really interesting point and a way to tie it back into, you know, something that's understandable for people who didn't use opioids to, to understand. Absolutely. Well said, Alex. Well said. Well, I want to thank you, Stephen, for coming on and talking to us today. It was really, you know, it's really exciting um, in Montana to know that we're going to have peer supporters helping people who are using medication-assisted recovery. Um, and I think your story and your advice is going to be really helpful to them. Um, so I want to thank you for joining us. Um, and everyone who's listening, I want to thank you for listening in. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Um, leave a review, send us questions, and we'll see you next time on the podcast.